0: This morning as we're looking at relationships, we're going to be in first, uh, Second Corinthians chapter 6. We'll get there in a little while, but if you want to turn there, you can. But let me start off with this statement this morning, this reality that I hope you agree with, and it's this. We shape our relationships, and then our relationships shape us. We shape our relationships, and then our relationships shape us. It's an old uh, kind of building, I guess, architectural saying that they say this about buildings. We shape our buildings, and then our buildings shape us. Uh, It's like that if you've ever built a house or moved into a new house. You know, sometimes you move into a new house, and it's so large, and you think, oh, we'll never need all this space And how will we ever fill all this space? We move our little furniture in. We got maybe a little love seat and we move our bedroom furniture. We're like, oh, there's all this space. We'll never fill it. And then a few years later, you're moving again and you're like, where did we get all this stuff that filled all this space, right? All of a sudden, we shape the buildings, but then the buildings begin to shape us as well. It happens with churches, Happens with churches all the time, where churches will build a building a certain size or a certain dimension, and it, then it begins to shape the church that's inside that building. I don't know why that happens. Some jump the curve, and some are exceptions, of course, but a lot of times that's what happens. I think it happens in relationships too that we shape our relationships, we choose the relationships that we have in our lives, but then eventually, relationships begin to have a shaping effect on us. The people we're in relationship with have a shaping effect on us. I'll give you an example. If you're married, you know this is true, that the person you're married to has had somewhat of a shaping effect on you. I, one example might be just trying to decide where to go to eat at night. And you want to go out to dinner, and maybe you want to go out, and maybe you feel like going out for Italian, because why wouldn't you go out for Italian, because Italian's great, and you can eat it every night of the week, and why wouldn't you just want to go out for Italian? But you know, maybe your spouse, for some reason, isn't as godly as you, and may not, (laughs) not as close to Jesus, but may want to go for something different, and maybe they want a Mediterranean salad with falafel on it for some reason. And you're like, you're thinking, well, we can go for Italian. And they'll probably say, sure, honey, whatever you want. But you know what that means. You know that means that later on in the evening, things might not go well for you. Or right? things in the evening might not go the same direction that you want. So you think, well, we got to, so you say, well, I want to do whatever you want. And then the other person, well, I'm going to do whatever you want. And then you both end up going for Mexican because and thinking that the other person is happy and neither of you are happy and that's called marriage. But you have a shaping effect, right? The relationship you choose. And then, right, you're talking to your friend later at night, right? And they're like, hey, what'd you do tonight? Your single friend's like, I went for a chicken palm. And you're like, oh, stink. (laughs) Because the relationship you chose has a shaping effect on you. Has an effect on your life. If you're a parent and you have kids, you know this is true. The moment you had children, it had a shaping effect upon you. That relationship, I tell new parents all the time when when it's their first baby, I said, you have that baby comes. It's going to change your priorities and your perspective in an instant like you wouldn't have known. I don't know how it happens. It just happens. All of a sudden, things that were important to you aren't as important to you anymore. And you don't turn the TV on. You just sit around that little bassinet staring at that little baby. They're not doing anything, but you can't do anything but just stare at them because this relationship has had a shaping effect on you. We shape our relationships, but then our relationships shape us. It's true with people we know, uh, but it's also true in our spiritual life too. If you're a Christian and you've chosen to follow Jesus, that has had an effect on you. You're in a relationship with God and it has a shaping effect on you. Let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 6. We're going to look at different parts of this passage this morning from verse 14 to the end of the chapter, verse 18. But I want to read um, just a couple of verses at the beginning, verse 14, uh, the end of verse 14 and then verse 16, which talks about our relationship, a Christian's relationship with God. And this is what it says about if you're a Christ follower, if you have chosen to follow Jesus, here's what God's word says about you. It says, for we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And then in verse 18, it says this, I will be a father to you. And you shall be my sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. So if you are in a relationship with God, there's two things that this text says about you that's true about you. One that's true about you is you are a temple of God's living spirit. That as Christians, we don't believe that there's some building somewhere in the world where God's Spirit dwells and you have to pilgrimage to it or go to it to, to get close to God or to know God. What the Bible says is with the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, God's Spirit, in a sense, was dispersed into those who put their faith in Jesus. So if you follow Jesus, what God says is, I will put my Spirit, the living God, will come to live in your life. And then the second thing he says is when you come to follow God, you become a child of God. God becomes your father and you become a son and a daughter of God. So that relationship has an effect on us, has a shaping effect on us. So when you encounter difficulties or you encounter challenges, there's a shaping effect that you are not encountering them in a hopeless situation. You are not encountering them thinking that there is not a God who is in larger control of the situation. It has a shaping effect on you. When you come to a difficulty in a relationship in your life, you have to come to it with the sense of God has forgiven me, and so I'm called to forgive others. That God has been gracious to me And so I'm called to be gracious to others. We shape our relationships, and then our relationships shape us. And if you choose to be in a relationship with the God who has forgiven you and been gracious to you, then that has to have an effect on how you will relate to other people as well. Another thing the Bible talks about in the life of a believer is the fruit of the Spirit. And what that means is God's spirit that's living in you that we just talked about is going to bring out characteristics of your life that might not come about if you weren't in relationship with God. You become shaped into a person of patience, kindness, love, self-control, peace, things that might not naturally come about of yourself, but because you have God's living spirit living within you, that you become and start to become shaped into looking more like the living God. So here's the reality. We shape our relationships and our relationships shape us. And if you're a Christian, we should most of all and first of all be shaped by our relationship with God. So into that situation, With those truths and that reality being the case, here's what Paul says in chapter six, verse 14. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Or if I can paraphrase it another way, uh, I would say it this way, shape your closest relationships carefully. Shape your closest relationships carefully. When we come to 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14, those of you who may have been Christians for a while, or you've read this text, you've probably heard this text preached in the context of marriage. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. And it certainly can be applied to the context of marriage, but I don't think it should be limited to that application in that context because Paul isn't specifically talking about marriage here. He's talking about the fact that if you're a believer, that you're going to have certain close relationships, and you need to be careful about who you're in close relationship with. Well, how do you define close relationship? Well, let's define it this way. He talks about a yoke. Everyone know what a yoke is? A yoke is—we're uh, not as much of an agricultural society here—but but a yoke, you can probably picture it. Uh, here's here's a picture of one. Here, a couple of—I don't know—are they ox oxen, cows, cattle? Somebody knows. I don't know—they're animals, um, and they have this yoke across them, right? And they—it's pretty even. One—the one on the. My right looks a little taller than the other, maybe. Maybe not completely equally, but the same type of animal. And you have this yoke upon them that binds them together. It brings them together. And here's what happens with the yoke. Whichever direction one animal moves, the other animal is going to be pulled in. Right? Whichever direction. That's the whole thing of the yoke. You got a yoke on you and another animal. Whichever direction one animal moves, the other animal is going to be pulled in. And so when Paul says, don't he be unequally yoked, I, I think what he's saying is this. Be careful who you yoke yourself together with. And what yoking together means, if you are going to be controlled by another person's direction, then you better be careful who that other person is. If the truth is that when they move, you move, then be careful that you're moving in the same direction. Be careful that you're yoked together in someone who's moving in the same direction. So we'll define close relationships as if they move, you move with them. It's maybe for us, we're not as much of an agricultural society, maybe the three legged race. How many have done this? Done the three legged race, right? right? So be careful who you tie yourself together with if you're in the three-legged race, right? You tie yourself with someone who doesn't want to have the same goals as you and is like, no, I'm just going to stay here. Or maybe I'll run the other way. Don't have the same direction. They don't have the same goal. They don't have the same, they're not going to the same place. I think Paul would say, be careful. Be careful about this. This is not always easy advice for us to hear, I think we like to think we can be in relationship with anyone we want and still be who we want to be. I think we'd like to think that we can be in relationship or even close relationship with people and still maintain control of who we are and not be influenced by them. But the truth is, we are influenced. We're influenced by the people around us, sometimes in overt ways, sometimes in less overt ways, but we are. I, it's as simple as little things, right? I, my in-laws are from Texas. Once in a while, we'll go down to visit. When I come back from Texas, I find myself talking slower, using phrases like y'all and fixing to do stuff. Eventually, we work that stuff out, but you, you can't help it. You're going to be influenced by the people around you. It's true. And Paul says, so don't be unequally yoked. With unbelievers. The context that Paul is talking to is this it's the city of Corinth in the first century. The city of Corinth in the first century is an extremely religious city. They have the temple of Aphrodite, the goddess Aphrodite, there. It, 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 it towers over the city with its 1,000 female slaves that work it. Paul is talking to this small group of Christians that comes out of that culture. Everything in their life is influenced by this cultic religious worship. The marketplace that they buy meat at. They go down to the butcher and the butcher had just finished sacrificing this meat to a local goddess. And they have this meat for sale in the marketplace. The restaurants they go to, the social atmosphere places. They're all places controlled and influenced by local deities Paul's talking to these people in this very religious culture and then he raises these five questions to recognize their difference and how they're called out of he says this for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness what fellowship has light with darkness what accord has Christ with Belial which is another name for Satan what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever What agreement has the temple of God with idols? What he's saying is, look, if you are called to be a Christian, there's going to be differences to you. It's as different as light and dark and righteousness and lawlessness and Christ and Satan and the temple of God and the temple of idols. There's going to be differences. So be careful who you enter into close relationship with because you're going to be influenced by it. It's the reality of it. I have one example of it, how it happens, um, this happens with us. Suppose you're running your own business, and you're running a business, and when you run it, you started it maybe, you founded it, you're directing it, you're taking it in whatever way you want to go, and you're bringing on the people you want to bring on, you're deciding what you're going to do with your business, and then one day you said, you know what, the business is doing so great, I think I'm going to take the business public. And you decide to take your business public and suddenly you take it and now you have shareholders in your business. And now you are not completely in control of everyone. In fact, you have a covenant with your shareholders, an agreement that you're going to do everything you can to earn them a return on their investment. So now you have closely tied yourself to someone else's goals where before you might be able to make a decision to say, you know what, I'm going to sacrifice that profit because of this value of mine. Now you may not have that freedom in that decision. It happens in business and it happens in life. You tie yourself to someone in a covenant, in a contract, in an agreement who may have different goals and suddenly you don't have the freedom maybe to live out life the way you know that you're supposed to live it out. And you say, Pastor, okay, well, what's that got to do with me? I buy my steak at Market Basket, not from a local butcher that sacrificed it to an idol. True, but there's a couple things that haven't changed in 2,000 years. One is this. We all have close, binding relationships with other people. We still do. We still have close, binding relationships with other people that when they move, we move. And two Everyone gives their worship to something. Everyone gives their worship to something. It may not be Aphrodite. It may not be a god or a goddess with a proper name. But everyone gives their worship to something or to someone, even that something or someone is themselves, or pleasure, or enjoyment, or travel, or love, or laughter, Whatever it might be, everyone worships something. Everyone has something that trumps everything else in their life. Everyone has something that they will not sacrifice for something else and that they'll give their resources, their time, their energy, their life to. And if you tie yourself to someone who worships something else and has a different goal than you, then they're going to at some point begin to pull you in a different direction. Paul just says, be careful. Be careful who you yoke yourself together with in relationship, in close relationship, such that when they move, you move. Be careful that the direction they're moving in is a direction you want to move in. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying and what Paul's not saying. Paul is not saying that that means you never have relationships with people who are unbelievers. You you never have relationships with people who don't know Christ. That's not what he's saying at all. In fact, in another passage, he says, look, if I was saying that, you'd have to just leave the world completely. You can't do that. And in fact, we all know that as Christians, you're called at times to be in relationship. How are you going to tell someone about Jesus if you're not in relationship with them? But there's levels of relationship. One helpful uh, way of looking at this, uh, Pastor Crosby, who is uh, used to pastor here before myself, he has three words that he uses when he talks about being in relationship with other people, and they're collaborate, cooperate, and commune. Now, on a broader level, there's a lot of people you might collaborate with. A natural disaster happens. We're all going to collaborate with each other to help each other out. I may not believe the same thing as you. I may not have the same beliefs as you. We may uh, be completely different on every other thing that we would do. But on this thing, we're going to collaborate together and work together. Not both believers, but we're going to try and work some stuff out together. Then there's people in life that you'll cooperate with. It goes beyond a singular particular instance, you cooperate with them. I would use as example for us maybe things like uh, the food pantry in Burlington. Or the wish tree that's coming up in December that we usually cooperate with our town with. We'll help out. We'll be a part of that. We're not gonna tie ourselves completely to you. We're not gonna, but we're gonna cooperate with you. We wanna see hungry people fed in this town too. We wanna see needs cared for in this town too. So if you're doing it and we want that, let's cooperate together and help each other out and see these needs met. We'll cooperate with you beyond just collaborating on a single event, but there's people in your life that you'll cooperate with. But then there's another level, and that's commune. And you're not going to commune with everyone you collaborate with and everyone you cooperate with. Commune is entering into a relationship that's deep and binding. On a corporate level, I might say we commune with uh, our global outreach partners, and we commune with those who call Mount Hope home and church. We enter into relationship with one another such that in some ways we're tied to one another, care for one another, love one another. In an individual level, to commune is probably most intimate when it comes to marriage. You choose to commune with someone, enter into a lifelong covenant with them, that you will commune with them. There's different levels of relationships that take place, and each and every one has different consequences, and I would say the deeper level of relationship, the larger possibility for consequences that you'll have to deal with down the road. So be careful, be careful who you commune with, be careful who you tie yourself to closely in relationship. As a matter of case study, I think maybe one of the clearest case studies in the Bible is a man named Solomon. Uh, he is a king of Israel. I know sometimes keeping track of the kings in Israel is a daunting task. I'm not going to go into the history of it or confuse you with it too much this morning, but there were only three kings who were kings in the Old Testament over the United Kingdom of Israel, Nation of Israel. Saul, David and Solomon and the one I want to look at just briefly this morning as a case study is Solomon because it was after him that the kingdom split fell apart and never came back together again there were very specific commands that God gave to anyone who might become king of Israel they're found in Deuteronomy chapter 17 God said, you may indeed set a king over you whom the Lord your God will choose. One from among your brothers you shall set as king over you. You may not put a foreigner over you who is not your brother. And here's some of the requirements. He must not acquire many horses for himself or cause the people to return to Egypt in order to acquire many horses. Since the Lord has said to you, you shall never return that way again. And he shall not acquire many wives for himself lest his heart turn away, nor shall he acquire for himself excessive silver or gold. And God gives these commands. Hundreds of years later, Solomon becomes king, and here's how Solomon lives out his kingdom. And Solomon gathered together chariots and horsemen. Well, here we go. God said, don't do that. He had 1,400 chariots and 12,000 horsemen whom he stationed in the chariot cities and with the king in Jerusalem. And the king made silver as common in Jerusalem as stone. He made cedar as plentiful of the sycamore of Shepehla. And Solomon's import of horses from Egypt and Kew and the king's traders received them from Kew at a price. And then as Solomon goes on, Afterwards, it says that Solomon, a little later in chapter 11, did this. He had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines. And his wives turned away his heart. And ultimately, the testimony to Solomon. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods, And his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. So Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and did not wholly follow the Lord as David his father had done. Now you look at that and you say, 700 wives. All right, Pastor, come on. This cannot possibly relate to me. (laughs) No one has 700 wives and keeps 700 wives happy. That's not the point. They weren't wives in the sense of a relationship between a husband and wife, you think about. They were political alliances. They were political alliances. You have a nation you want to make an agreement with, you marry one of the daughters of the king, and you make an alliance. You come into relationship with them. They become one of the wives of the king, and God said, Don't do that. He didn't just say, Don't do that because it's bad for marriage. It's true never worked out good. People that talk about why is polygamy in the Bible, I would say, well, look at it. It never works out well. It's never blessed of God. It never works out for the best. But he wasn't saying it just because it's bad for marriage. He was saying it's bad for the nation. It's bad for the direction of you following God. What you're doing is you're tying yourself in close relationship to people who have Different goals than you. And you're going to end up going in a different direction. And that's exactly what happened. Solomon started out his reign as king real hopeful. In fact, God gave him the chance. He said, You can choose whatever you want, and I'll give it to you, Solomon. And he said, God, give me wisdom. And God said, I'll give you wisdom. And I'll give you even beyond that because you asked for wisdom. Started out real hopeful, but ended tragically. And why? Because he chose to yoke himself, to bind himself in close relationship to people who were going in a different direction. And it's a few thousand years ago, but it's not an unfamiliar story to us, is it? We all know those stories. We all know the story of the young man or the young woman who had so much hope and promise before them. And they tied themselves closely to someone who was headed in the wrong direction. And they end up heading in the wrong direction themselves. And so Paul says, be careful. Be careful who you yoke yourself together with. Because you shape your relationships and your relationships will shape you. Quite simply, Paul is saying this. Walk closest with those who are heading in the same direction. You're going to walk with a lot of people. You're going to journey with a lot of people. You're going to be in relationship with a lot of people. But walk closest with those who are walking in the same direction. Doesn't mean you cut off relationships with everybody. Doesn't mean you're not not in relationships with people who don't follow Christ. Don't hear what I'm not saying. You need to be. We need to be salt and light. We need to be God's presence and showing and sharing the love of Jesus in this world. But walk closest with those heading in the same direction. Proverbs 13, 20 says it this way. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools Will suffer harm. Be careful. Or I can one last way I put it this way: stick with those who are stuck with Jesus. Stick with those who are stuck with Jesus. Walk closely with them. It's interesting. I said at the beginning, we always think we're going to be the exception. We always think we're going to be the one that's not going to be influenced by others, but will be the one who influences others. And it's true, there's exceptions, but we are always going to be influenced by the people that we walk and tie ourselves closest to. Stick with those who are stuck with Jesus. We allow those relationships to shape our relationship with God, is what often happens. By walking closer with them than we walk with God. Who you walk with closest is going to have a shaping effect on the rest of your life, including your relationship with God. When we walk closely with a person, then what they believe and what they think starts to influence what we believe and what we think. Most of the people that I know, maybe it's different for you, but most of the people that I know that had a drastic change of spiritual direction Didn't make that change because they were intellectually or theologically convinced, contrary to their previous direction. Almost everyone I know, the books I read, when I read about some leader that was traveling one direction and then began traveling another direction, often I'll read the book and I'll be looking for it, and it's almost always there. They had a son or a daughter or a friend, or a business partner, that they had tied themselves with closely, even more closely than how they had tied themselves to God. And because that person went a different direction, they moved in that direction. Very rarely have I had the story that someone was intellectually convinced to travel in a different spiritual direction. It's almost always because of a relationship that they tied themselves to that took them in that direction. And so be careful. So, how do you know? How do you know if you're walking closest with people who are walking in the same direction? Well, I'll close with this. Just ask yourself a couple questions. Where do you run in time of need? Where do you run in times of tragedy and in times of transition? Where is your refuge in time of pain? Is it godly people? Or is it someplace or someone else? When you're at the end of your rope at work, you're already behind and frustrated, and other people are not pulling their own weight, and you think you might just walk out the door and not walk back in. Who's your text? Who's your phone call? Who's your email in that moment? Because that will tell you who you're walking closest with in life. When your kids have stretched you so thin that you think you're going to tear you apart. They've tested you and you don't know what to do next. You feel like you're going to scream or do something else you're going to regret. Who's your phone call? Who's your lifeline? When the news is devastating, someone you love is going to die or just died. Of course you look for people who can hug you and hang with you but when the initial moment passes and you're looking for that emotional and intellectual support who do you call when you experience the greatest joys in life a baby's born you get into that college you've been working for you land that job you get that house who's the text who's the call who's the one you reach out to to celebrate with Because the ones who come to our mind in those moments are most likely the ones that we are yoked together with the closest. What Paul is saying, what God is saying to us, is if you want to stay on track with God and keep moving in close relationship with him, becoming more like him, then make sure those people are moving in a similar direction. You might say, Pastor, the reason I run to people in my life who are walking in a different direction is because those are the relationships I have. Maybe even those are the only people who seem to care. Okay, fair enough. Two pieces of advice for you then. One, work to develop some relationships with people who are walking in the same direction when you're not in a time of tragedy and transition. Work today to develop a relationship with someone who's walking in the same direction. In fact, that's my call to you as you respond to this message before walking out of this room, that you would think about who is a person who's walking in the same direction as you, following Christ, that you can begin to invest more in that relationship. That you can begin to develop more. So that when you do hit those times of difficulty, that you'll have someone walking in the same direction that you can turn to. Start working on those today. Secondly, I would say this. Let your mind and your theology overrule your feelings in those times. Call a person you might not be that close to or call a pastor and be honest. Maybe you say something like this. Look, We don't know each other that well, and I'm not coming to you to fix the situation or lay a heavy burden on you, but I have this problem or this pain, and I need to talk about it with someone who loves and worships God, and I don't have many people in my life to talk to about it. Can we talk? Maybe the conversation starts like that such that you talk with people who are moving in the same direction, have the same goal. Because I'll tell you what happens. When you go to someone who's moving in a completely different direction, you're going to get completely different advice. Because someone who doesn't have Christ as their goal and understand that sometimes that means you'll experience places of sacrifice in your life. And that's okay because Christ is your goal. That sometimes you'll experience times of pain and God will call you through that and walk with you through that. And it's okay because Christ is your goal. But if you get around someone who doesn't have that goal, they'll tell you, well, you need to run away. You need to get out of there. You need to not forgive them. You need to hold on to your bitterness. You need to hold on to your pain. You need to just give them back what they gave to you. If someone's traveling in a different direction, if Christ is not their goal, why on earth would they forgive someone who wronged them? Why on earth would they love their enemy? Why would they pray for those who persecute them? And yet these are the things that Christ calls us to. But it's only someone who's traveling in the same direction who's gonna tell you that. It's only someone who's traveling in the same direction who's gonna tell you to do those hard things during those times. And so find and build those relationships. Finally, is there a relationship you need to spend less time investing in? Maybe not pull away completely. Not saying you don't love and show and share the love of Jesus. Nope, you need to do that. But maybe there's relationships that need to come to an end or you need to pull away from a bit so that you can invest in others. Do you have close relationships with people that are not healthy relationships for you? Paul gives this warning. Don't be yoked together, unbelievers. If you do, I would say recognize the reality of the situation. There's a reason why you sometimes feel tension. You're traveling in different directions ultimately. If it's a marriage, well, the Bible's clear. You stay married. You stay in that marriage and you keep praying. Paul says elsewhere, you've entered that covenant and who knows if you might be the one that brings that person to know God. You stay faithful to that marriage covenant and commitment as God has called you to. If it's not a marriage, maybe it's a business partnership, then I would say, Be sure you're a person of integrity. Keep the promises and commitments you've made even if you endeavor to untangle yourself from that relationship. Manage the consequences. Pray that God will redeem it. All these things because of this, because of what we said in the beginning, because if you are a follower of Christ, you are a temple of God. And God dwells in you. And God lives in you. If you are a follower of Christ, God is your father. And you are his child. And he longs and has a plan for your life and wants to see you follow it and get every part of that plan. And if you yoke yourself too closely with someone heading in a different direction, it can pull you in a direction that God does not want you to travel in. I'm going to ask the music team to come, and we're going to pray. As we respond to God's message this morning, it's my call. You have a card in front of you that always says on the back, notes, sermon notes, and how can I apply this to my life this week? My call this week is that you consider what are some relationships that you can invest in? People traveling in the same direction that maybe you need to take out to lunch. Go have coffee with this week. Start developing and building relationships and close relationships with people heading in the same direction. Maybe even now, God puts a name in your heart. Someone that God is, you see him every Sunday when you come in and every Sunday you say, you know, I should really get to know that person more and you walk out the door and you forget about it. Well, this week, don't forget about it. This week, make some time to spend with that person build those relationships. Take the first awkward step. Or maybe you're in here and God says, is God the Holy Spirit speaking to you? And there's relationships you need to pull away from because you've yoked yourself too closely with people heading in a different direction. And maybe this morning you need to pray. God, give me a way out. Give me a way out of that business contract. Give me a way out of that agreement. Give me a way out of this situation where I've put myself in, where I have tied myself to someone who's heading in a very different direction than me. Father, as we respond to your word today, I ask that you would speak to us. Lead us. God, we want to be a people who love you and worship you with our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so, Lord, we need to be led by you. And we pray that you would lead us in this very particular and personal aspect of relationship. Those of us who have put our faith in Christ, the most important relationship we want to be shaped by is our relationship with you. So Lord, we pray that you would prune and guide and lead us in all our other relationships so that in them, you might also be glorified. And even those relationships might be worship and pleasing unto you, God. Lead us. Speak to us now. In Jesus' name.